Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me today is one of my regular panel, freelance writer Julian Rabbit Murdoch. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show, man. I know, it's been like three weeks. I thought you didn't love me anymore. Well, you know, when you started calling me like three or four times a day and asking me, like, why haven't I been on the show? And then when I found that, like, rabbit boiled to death on my stove, I was like, well, we should probably get him back on the show. And we are also joined by first-time guest, uh, GameSpot's eSports correspondent and one of the hosts of the Live on 3 um, boy, video podcast. That seems really awkward, but uh, the Live on 3 uh, pro gaming show, uh, Rod Slasher Breslau. Rod, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, Rod, you've been, you know, for for those of you who who don't know Rod, Rod is a, uh, he, he covers esports in all their various forms. He's one of those passionate advocates uh, I've met, and he's been incredibly generous in teaching me how the hell to watch and decode esports. <laughs> and it's hard, isn't it? Coming from a background that's not really used to it, it's a clusterfuck of everything, right? Shit, man. Yeah, it is. And that has, that's actually a good place to start is, you know, when, when I first, did, like, you know, for, for various reasons, and we'll get to those later, but, you know, when I decided, like, okay, I should really start paying attention to esports, and I'm really curious about what's going on in that scene and, and, and you know, how to follow esports, um, you know, trying to get into it from the outside was really difficult. There's, well, a, there's a huge barrier to entry. Before you actually even start talking about games, do you... Can you tell me how you follow esports? Because it seems to me it's like you have to find somebody who knows the right site to go to that actually puts stuff up on time. And I mean, it's a disaster. How do you even find out who's playing where, when? You know, I think this is the best weekend or day that you ever could have picked for this example to show you how at least I follow esports. Right now, I have on three StarCraft streams, two Dota streams, one Quake stream. Uh, two fighting game streams, which I know it's not really part of the show, but I have that on too, and then I'm waiting for Counter-Strike to start. Uh, League of Legends just started in California with two different streams, and so I have about nine streams going, <laughs> and then that's just watching of the games, and then I have to have Team, Team Liquid open for uh, StarCraft coverage, uh, Reddit StarCraft and Reddit League of Legends and Reddit Dota 2 for all three of those games. Uh, join Dota for Dota 2. I have on the League of Legends of Liquipedia thing that they copied from Team Liquid to follow the scores and brackets there. You Event realize... Hudson Shuriken for fighting games, ES Reality for Quake, and HLTV.org for Counter-Strike. And that is kind of my home base uh, as a general description of what I will do in a weekend to follow everything that's happening. That's so insane. You realize for most people, though, like that's a fucking nightmare. Like, if I just want to find out, like, okay, what's going on? What's going on in, like, StarCraft this weekend? Or what's, and, and StarCraft is comparatively easy to follow. But, you know, if I just want to find out, like, what's going on in a given, in, in a given competitive scene in a given weekend, like, boy, there is, there is a lot of hunting through various, like, fan sites and stuff just to find, like, the good stream information to find out where I can watch the match. Uh, to say nothing of, like, who's actually playing and, you know, who these people really, really are. Yeah, I mean, I think it's gotten better in recent times because the sites like Team Liquid have come to prominence where they're now driving more outbound traffic than... Like, I, I know the guy, Imager, uh, has become a pretty big image hosting site, which is very popular on Reddit and Dig and social sites. And I remember him talking about what sites kind of drive the most traffic, and Team Liquid was actually way up there in terms of, like, the whole world of sites that drive traffic. So I think some of the ones that 
are really big in competitive gaming have gotten much bigger, and that's helped a lot. But one of the biggest goals that I've been doing at GameSpot is to try to compile all these things to help people that really have no idea what to do or where to go to watch these games. You can find all the info in one place. And I think that's one of the biggest problems still. To be, to be fair, it's a lot easier if you're only interested in one or maybe two games, right? I mean, you're talking about competitive Counter-Strike, and I'm assuming, like, you know, they have Mortal Kombat. I mean, there's a whole bunch of competitive games that not everybody's going to want to tune into. And it's a little bit like saying, well, how do I follow sports, period? Right? That's, that's a like, really good point. N- n- there are not that many people who are genuinely passionate about, you know, college hockey and tennis. You know, I mean, the people have their their niches and you know i mean certainly i'm much more interested in the strategy stuff so frankly it's league of legends and starcraft 2 and i don't really care that much about the other but just trying to keep track of those two is a freaking nightmare what about dota bro well we'll Come get on. to that we'll, 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 we'll get to dota, dota in a minute <laughs> but but even there like so let's take let's take a really established like comparatively easy to follow esport like starcraft right like like Used to be when I when I was first trying to cover what's happening in StarCraft, I would go to the various like league websites and like, hey, what's going on? And rapidly, I increasingly realized that they're all garbage compared to Liquipedia. Like basically, if you want to know if you want to know what's happening in StarCraft, don't even bother with any of the league sites. Don't try to follow like their schedules. Don't read their standings. To hell with all of that. Go to the fan site. And to me, that's that's just kind of really weird. Like it, you know, if, if well, I, no, because it's a little bit like the third party, right? It's a little bit they're the Sports Illustrated of the scene right now. Yeah, that's very true. I just, but you know, when I look, when I compare it to stuff like following, like uh, you know, mainstream sports, like you know, any like uh, hockey, for instance, you just go to like, NHL, and NHL, you're done. Yeah, yeah, NHL centralizes everything really beautifully, and it's like, okay, I know exactly what's going on, I know exactly what the state of play is. Esports, it's much more of a once you're versed in who knows what and where to go for the information, it's easy to find. But it's not really intuitive, and I just you know it, sometimes it, sometimes it seems like that more than anything seems indicative of kind of the um, you know immaturity of the scene in some ways. Sure. That it's it's sure. you know you you gotta you gotta you gotta kind of be in the know. But until until you get to a point where they start locking down players, right? Which I which, which I oh, do boy. not want, yeah, right? But I'm happen. just saying, no. you know, if you get to the point where DRG signs with MLG, that's a death knell for the whole thing. Yeah, that, well, it, go on. It has happened before. I uh, in the way the players were signed. Before I get to that, I would say that the league sites throughout time, and I've been covering this for a while, so I've seen the CPL site when I worked for the WSVG. I know how that site was ran, or for the MLG, so I know how that site has gone under changes. Uh, ESL, DreamHack, Evo, et cetera, et cetera, they are all lagging behind. I mean, it makes GeoCities sites look really cool. <laughs> Blink tag. Nowadays. <laughs> and um, I'm really surprised I don't have the in, the under construction GIF, which I, I'm sure <laughs> you remember way back when. And really, they have not done such a great job of keeping their own sites up to date in terms of the new Web 2.0, 3.0, whatever the hell we're up to, kind of structure that we have now on the Internet. And um, the community sites really have been the ones to kind of lead that charge. But even a site like Team Liquid, uh, in terms of the way it looks, it has tons of info. It still looks kind of dated. I don't think that's hurt it much, though. I mean, even Reddit's a site, you could say, looks dated, but it doesn't really matter the well, way it, it, it functions well. It looks like Wikipedia, which I think, you know, Wikipedia isn't the sexiest looking site, but it's a reference site. You can and use that's, it. You yeah. know, that's actually what we want, right? Like most times is we want to look at like, so what's this guy won? Oh, I'll go to, you know, awards, victories, whatever, right. and like see the medal listings. Let's talk about the actual games for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, I mean, let's just dig in with StarCraft because that's kind of where this all starts, right? I mean, the whole reason, in my opinion, we even have a competitive gaming scene at all, we kind of have to say we owe it to the Koreans in a little bit, no? Well, I'm interested interested to hear the Slasher respond to that. (laughs) It's, uh, you know... In terms of this being a strategy show and focusing on the real-time strategy game, StarCraft is, you know, the epitome probably of where this all started in terms of a mainstream level. When the Koreans used StarCraft Brood War back in 2000, late 99, with the first teams and tournaments, um, and then that eventually developed into KESPA for what it is today, and then MBC Game and On Game Net, which are the two... TV stations in Korea picked it up initially and went with it. That is kind of really when this all blew up in terms of StarCraft and strategy. And without that momentum and what they did, StarCraft II would never have been as big as it is today. Not even close. And you could just see with the cast of players coming over to MLG Anaheim this weekend for the first time. And the response that they got, that they're still the superstars in the scene, even over players like DRG and MC. And, you know, Nesty and a lot of the big names that have been around for the past, you know, two years in the StarCraft II Korean world, along with Hawk and Idra and some of the big names um, from the foreign scene. I I do think that a lot of it, uh, StarCraft was never big in the West. I mean, it was was huge. StarCraft was a huge game, sold millions and millions of copies in the West. But But the Western eSport was Counter-Strike. You can say that. I know it's a strategy show, but we don't have to pretend Counter-Strike doesn't exist. No, no, no. Not even Counter-Strike. I'm a Quake player. I've been playing Quake for 10 years. It it was Quake and Counter-Strike that really made it what it was in the West. And it really all started with Quake. And it's called the PGL, which is the first ever league back in 97, 98. And that was when Thresh was winning Quake World and Quake 1 yep. tournaments. That's when John Carmack of its software gave him his Ferrari. Ferrari yeah. Winning Quake 2 tournament back, um, the Red Annihilation tournament back in 99. And that's really what kick-started everything in the West was Quake and Counter-Strike building to, you know, really all the teams, a lot of the teams that still exist today that are signing all these StarCraft players yeah. and Warcraft players are those initial Quake and Counter-Strike teams that were built from just a bunch of guys that like playing together. That what is it, like that complexity, it. fanatic, yeah. evil yeah, geniuses, yeah. they That's all have their quake. roots, and yeah. Uh, everyone is a Quake or Counter-Strike team. Not one foreign team started with StarCraft. All of them were FPS teams that launched with FPS games and then naturally moved into these other games. You could actually predate StarCraft 1 with Warcraft 2, and you can make a probably a pretty good argument that Warcraft 2 was the true game that really set everything moving forward. Warcraft 1 was legendary in its own right, but it was not such a great game. It didn't really get the notoriety or popularity that it did back then. But Warcraft 2, when that came out, and when Kali came out, way before Battle.net existed, Kali was the place to go and the place to be where to play online and to, to play competitively. You had players like Pillarman. You're, you're like as um, old as I am, aren't you? I he's not. He's not though. That's what's <laughs> fucked up, Julian. This is like I, I think Slasher. How, how old are you? Uh, twenty six. No, oh my god. Oh my god. So you weren't even born. <laughs> Christ, I was playing in these damn things in the like you know early nineties for Pete's sake. I was too. I was playing Warcraft two on Kali when I was. You, like, you, were, you were probably owning Julian. Actually. Probably yeah, because I was in college and you were eleven. Yeah, and but that, that's kind of like where my scene came from. I was playing Quake when I was like thirteen, Warcraft two when I was like ten. 
or whatever. I haven't played single player games in like the past fifteen years. It doesn't matter to me anymore. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I think really, where you can say Warcraft Two was really a big part of it because a lot of the big stars from back then, like Tormund and the whole In Clan from England, became huge people in the community and scene. They're really the ones that made competitive RTS what it was for Brood War and StarCraft Two. Is a lot of those early Warcraft Two players went to Korea and started to, com- to compete, and then kind of you know pushed the foreign scene. Forward, and that is actually where my competitive spirit came from. I was playing Warcraft 2 at a buddy's house, playing TCP IP for, for, through another friend, and that's where I initially really got into competitive gaming, online gaming, and I haven't really looked back since then. I would say that's a big part of where at least the strategy side came about, even before but- War. But I think like for for the modern period, like you got to look at it. Just seems to me like StarCraft Two kind of marks a discontinuity almost in like the history of esports. Like it seems like with StarCraft Two, things fundamentally shift that the Western and Eastern esports uh, markets kind of start coming closer and closer together. And StarCraft, which never really did catch on uh, in the West the same way, suddenly now StarCraft Two is enjoys huge prominence at you know well MLG. A lot of well, a lot and, of American circuits. Dreamhack. There are bars all over the world that are now doing you know, barcraft night. Yeah. So I mean, so well, like, what do you think accounts for suddenly the fact that you know, Star like Brood War was huge, but what about what about StarCraft Two accounts for like this being the moment for esports to really to really start to surge? Well, I, let me answer first because I'm StarCraft Two and and really League of Legends are what have brought me back into paying attention to this stuff at all. Um. I think StarCraft II is phenomenally accessible as a viewer. And some of that has to do with the fact that they've actually made really good spectating tools, right? So you can actually spectate a match pretty well. They've kept the game sort of boiled down and simple. And, you know, you can have matches that are over in 10 minutes. Um, You know, most of them aren't. But it does happen, and that's interesting and exciting. And a really epic match is going to go 30 um, but boy, you know, you you feel like you've just watched a playoff game that went into overtime when a match goes to 30. Um, and, and really, I think you can watch six or seven StarCraft matches, having no idea what's going on, having not played StarCraft 2, and you have a pretty good sense of what's going on. Some of that's the commentators for sure, but it's also that the game, I think, has been boiled down, and, and the game actually, I think, got some criticism from strategy gamers when it came out because it had been boiled down we, so much. I got to I got to raise my hand there too because we we actually had a show we we did the StarCraft 2 show probably one of our most hated episodes of Kingdom Hearts <laughs> Head where a bunch of us got together and we were like you know it's not really that great in RTS and in a lot of ways I still stand by that. Like I think there's a lot of things that make it inaccessible that I would not recommend StarCraft to a ton of people. I would not recommend this game to as a way to like enjoy the RTS genre. But I really kind of got to mostly eat my words in that, you know, like being able to being able to see it played on a professional level, like changed my views on StarCraft 2. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you are comparing StarCraft 2 in terms of all the other games in the RTS genre. And that makes it much harder for me, because although I played Age of Empires a little bit and Command and Conquer a little bit and Total Annihilation way back when a little bit, it's really hard for me to compare those even nowadays to those other games and how, if it should be suited or not for a large audience out there to play. So many of my comparisons are to Brood War, uh, the original StarCraft, and I could say that it has been changed a lot since then, and there are arguments both ways of whether the game might be too easy now or if it's still just way too hard 
for, you know, most people anyways, it doesn't even matter that it's easier, well, so to speak, than Brood War. Well, I, my, my sense is, because I, I played a ton of the original StarCraft in a Brood War, um, my sense is that what they've done, and I, and I think this is absolutely intentional and also brilliant, is they have made the game reward uh, sort of competitive skill far more than what we would normally consider strategic planning or strategic thinking, right? And they've, they've made it a game that is fine-tuned for that 15 to 25-minute experience that rewards people who practice, who understand the meta game, and that's exactly what you want in a multiplayer game, right? In a competitive multiplayer game, you want to be rewarding people who practice a lot, who understand their opponents, who develop multiple strategies and come in loaded to to you know, modify things on the fly. That doesn't necessarily make a great single player RTS. You're going to play for two or three hours, or something you're going to pick up and take online and and play with some other just a bunch of people. friends, right? Because it takes so long. This this is, I guess. You know, where, where, where my real problem, and, and people kind of called us on it at the time, is that, we, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, my issues with StarCraft II were that I sucked at it. <laughs> and, well, no, but there, were, there, were, a lot of, there are, were a lot of RTSs around this time. There were a lot of really progressive ones, I would say, just from, like, you know, the way they're designed, interface, and user-friendliness, that make it really easy to, like, achieve, like, core-level competence in skills at the game. And then you can start moving on to, like, higher order concerns, you know, like, overall strategy. StarCraft II starts at this really low level where it's like, no, you have, to, you have to work really hard to acquire a basic proficiency at the game that most other RTSs don't. But the thing is, that is also where the game gets a lot of its competitive appeal. Because, yes. like, to get good at those high level, uh, at those, like, basic tasks... You know, there's a huge skill ceiling just for those just well, for those I mean, low we, level. You know, I, I just re- right before we 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 watched this, I rewatched the the finale of last weekend's MLG, right? DRG Alicia, DR, DR, right? DRG Alicia, right? And and you watch players at that level, and it is quite literally like the difference between me going out in the backyard and you know throwing a ball to my son and watching a professional quarterback warm up, right? Where you know they're they're doing you know hundreds of or you know 150 200 useful actions per minute and i'm doing 12 or something like that i mean it's just not even in the same realm it's like hopping on my bicycle versus watching the tour de france and i think it's a testament to the game that it rewards that because let's be clear you can't take age of empires and and you know make 10 times as many actions and be a better player at that the game isn't designed to do that so i mean i think that um, what we're what we're starting to see with StarCraft StarCraft Two is sort of the front end of games that are designed from the ground up to not only be competitive games but to be competitive and spectatable games. Right? I mean, I played an assload of Quake. I was in a Counter Strike league playing on a team for several years. I wasn't actually any good. Don't make don't pretend that means anything. Um, but you know, I mean, I was playing you know three practices a week and two matches on the weekend for a year and a half. I don't think those were spectatable games. I mean, there was no way to really watch those as an outsider unless you really knew the game and how to manipulate your own camera. Yeah. I, You know, it, to me, I, I, as I said earlier, I haven't played a single-player game in, like, 10 years <laughs> or, or something. I, it, I don't find the appeal anymore because uh, I, I don't know if it's... It's not just RTS games. It's... It, all games, including RPGs, which are you know single-player experiences themselves, not including the MMO uh, context of it. But you know, I, I don't find it alluring or fun anymore to play an AI made by a developer who I, while I do respect to the fullest because they made the game, I know that whatever 
difficulty level that they made is not going to match a person ever, sure. ever, 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 ever. So I never, I don't even find a point anymore to play them because it's, I know I'm going to beat it at the end and it's not fun anymore. Uh, so, you know, but ignoring that aspect of it, I can't quite say the, the other RTS games were or were not made for competitive play from the ground up. I don't know if Blizzard was trying to make a competitive game with Brood War and it just happened to be like the greatest competitive game of all time across Quake, Counter-Strike, StarCraft 2. You can probably still argue that Brood War is still the best game ever. Uh, I don't know if, you know, Dawn of War, Total Annihilation, or Age of Empires, or Command & Conquer, that they weren't made in terms of a competitive thinking, but the games just could never progress to that point based upon the mechanics that they had within it or just the shape the developers wanted to go. It, it seems that just StarCraft and Warcraft and the way that those games were made, uh, just it just found its own niche. It, 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 seemed, it seemed different than all the other RTS games in the way that not only were they made, but that they evolved over time. I don't think any of the other games could have evolved as much as these two did. I also think developers came into play with creating so many sequels and never even letting the metagame or the game potentially progress because there was no time yeah. they, they had to for move it on. to. Yeah. Yeah. They had to move on and make money doing something I, else. I, I, I've always kind of wondered if like Company of Heroes, for instance, for instance, could have been a major competitive game if Relic hadn't been so busy moving on to the next of the Dawn of War games, for instance. Well, like, there, has to be, there has to be a business model there, right? And, yeah. that's, and that's, I think, what's interesting. I mean, I, I actually find it interesting that we have Blizzard and Riot to stick to sort of our strategy corner of the world, and to some extent Valve, but we'll get there in a second. Um, you know, Blizzard and Riot have such very different business incentives in what they're doing, right? There's not actually all that much incentive for Blizzard to keep the competitive scene of StarCraft II at a certain level. Other I than used to think that, but I no longer do, but go on. But, I mean, they can sell more copies of StarCraft II, right? If this game is just out there forever, sure, there's new players that will come in. People will get, you know, people will... Uh, see uh, you know a barcraft tournament get interested go buy a copy etc but you compare that to the strategy of somebody like riot who is effectively just running that game right blizzard's got 12 other things in the pipeline right they need to be launching expansions for starcraft 2 and they need to be launching you know expansions for diablo etc and so on all that riot is focused on is keeping league of legends as balanced as it can be keeping new content coming out that makes the metagame evolve. They're, they're effectively playing the role of somebody like Wizards of the Coast and keeping magic alive, um, where, where it's all about keeping an ecosystem moving. I find it fascinating that those are the two big successes in the sort of strategy part of competitive gaming. So I was just going to say, I, you know, I, I used to think that Blizzard embraced esports almost as like a luxury item like they didn't want to completely wreck what they created with brood war and so they paid a lot of attention to making starcraft 2 esports friendly but i wasn't really sure of like the upshot for blizzard but here's the thing though like i look at starcraft 2 and the excitement that's around that game by virtue of the esports scene starcraft 2 is always going to be a hot game and these new expansions that are releasing have more appeal, I think, because like, oh shit, how are they? How are they going to change this game that people take like really seriously? 
that really encourages high level competition. Like I, you know, when, when I hear about like Heart of the Swarm, I'm not hearing people saying like, "Oh man, what do you think Kerrigan's gonna do? Do you think she and Jimmy <laughs> Rayner are gonna get together?" No, nobody gives a shit because it's an RTS campaign, but. The, the esports scene means that StarCraft is always something that, like, someone is, you know, maybe on a real, like, back-of-the-mind level contemplating getting involved in. And it keeps that community really fresh, really dynamic, really exciting. Whereas a lot of other RTSs, like, if you buy it, like, on discount, like, you know, six months later, you go online. Nobody's there. Nobody's there to play with. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that, you know, even though there are expansions, it is still all just StarCraft two. Uh, so the models between Riot and Blizzard are very interesting. Riot, I mean, they have this game because they have microtransactions, and it is free-to-play, and I'm sure we could spend a whole lot of time talking about, about that in a little while. Blizzard has not taken that approach for anything yet, only now with Diablo 3 Auction House, and we have to see kind of how that that goes by. But there's no microtransactions for StarCraft 2. You can't buy hats to put on your little Banelands, <laughs> and DJ Wheat, every time there's a show, says... If they made capes for his banelings, he would buy them in 18 different <laughs> colors and would use all of them on every the single game. The Rainbow Coalition. But, but you and, know, I think that's but I think that's legitimate because I honestly think that there are rafts of StarCraft players out there who would happily give oh, Blizzard Oh, God, that's more a terrible money. idea. That's a terrible idea, though. Well, just as someone who watches the game, I think that's a horrible idea. Well, because that's what drives you nuts about League of Legends. Right, because I have to, like, okay, what like what the fuck skin is that? Like, who is that guy? <laughs> I have no I have no clue. And suddenly, if, like, my t- like a teeny mass of Zerglings is down there fighting with Zealots, and they're all wearing some, like, goofy costume or something, like, boy, the, the steampunk guy just killed the, you know, just killed Ash <laughs> from, just killed Ash from Evil Dead or something. Boy, I don't, I wish I knew who was winning. <laughs> I, I got to talk with Dustin Browder and Chris Sigety this weekend from, from Blizzard. Um, I got to interview him about, you know, New Heart of the Swarm, differences in the units, and what's going to be happening, and Chris about Battle.net 2.0, and where the hell's land mode, and how we're never, ever going to see it ever, and, and kind of, you know, the reasons why that's all you know, that's been discussed before. But I had to talk to them a little bit about, you know, why there hasn't been cosmetic, like, additions that you could buy and uh, why they haven't done microtransactions. And it really just does seem like it's against the company line and the way that they do business there. You can't really do it in WoW for the most part. And Diablo 3, there's the auction house, but I don't think you're going to be able to buy cosmetic things because that's part of the game itself is the cosmetic yeah. portion. So you can't really screw with that either. StarCraft would be the game that you could do it in. And while like I talked to them about it and they're like, oh, they said, oh, well, that, that's kind of cool. It seems like they would rather not try to fudge up anything in that area, even if, w- if it would get them a More little money. bit of money. Right. Yeah. They would rather keep the, in- what they see as the integrity of the game and the sport that they've built and not mess with that at all, even if it were to get them more profits. Now, I don't know what Activision thinks about all that. <laughs> yeah, wait wait six months and see. Uh, but, but it seems like Blizzard's pretty separate from Activision. They don't have to do anything they don't want to. There's no Blizzard presence at E3 in the Activision booth. There's never... It seems like they don't have to listen to Activision at all. So I don't really know if Activision has any bearing on when they release their games or what they're doing really uh, I know Diablo 3 had to come out and they cut PvP, and we still don't know where the hell that is right now. But I still think that had more to do with it not being ready than Activision telling them you need to get the game out right now. But I just like, do you think that 
you know, for the purposes of, you know, if you're an RTS company, you know, like for, for the purposes of StarCraft II, Blizzard is an RTS company. Blizzard's a lot more than that, but just for in the context of this one game, that's what, they, what they're about. Do you think having this, like, competitive scene really provides much in the way of benefits for the people selling the games? I mean, I really do think so. I could probably make a strong argument that StarCraft II and the way that it's released with Wings of Liberty, Heart of the Swarm, and then um, Legacy of the Void coming for the Protoss campaign, quote-unquote, uh, later, that there's more discussion and hype and talk around StarCraft II Heart of the Swarm game coming out than any other game coming out for any system or genre or anything because of how much the competitive community is involved in the scene. So although they're not, you know, churning out sequels over and over, even though you can kind of say this is like a, even though it's an expansion, um, that because of how big the competitive scene is and how big StarCraft 2 is in esports, that is automatically going to make Heart of the Swarm talked about every single day sure. because of all the new units, all the new changes. When the beta hits, it's going to be crazy. You're going to have, they're going to have like tens of thousands of videos made by every content creator Exploiting in the world. Exploiting every single little... For, for yeah. free without Blizzard having to do anything. They don't have to work out with, they don't yeah. have to work out anything with oh, the magazines, anything with the editors, no journalists. They'll have content creators from all of YouTube, um, pretty much everywhere with how big esports is in general now and with more, you know, mainstream writers like you, Rob, covering it, um, you know, on, on PC Gamer, and I've seen sites like Rock, Paper, Shotgun, you know, et cetera, doing more stuff. Those guys are going to be covering it more without Blizzard having to do anything. Sure. Blizzard doesn't have to do anything, and it's going to be the most talked-about game for the next year or so. So I think a lot of that, and almost all of that, is riding on the backs of the competitive gaming and the esports scene from StarCraft, and that is what's making... Uh, so much content come out for that game without really a whole lot of money behind it. See, the, the, I, I agree with you, and that clearly will be important, but I still think it's interesting that the only way Blizzard gets paid for any of that is by people going and buying a copy once, right? You know, once every year or so, people will, you know, pony up another 50 or 60 bucks, and that's the only way that Blizzard can make money. And in that gap, I feel, is where there's real risk, right? Because if, you know, if, if this comes out and for whatever reason, it changes the, the multiplayer, it changes the spectator experience in a way that the community just doesn't buy. They've really shot themselves for a period of time. And, and what's been so interesting about watching League of Legends and, you know, disclaimer, I'm much more of a LOL player than I am a StarCraft II player. Um, What's been so interesting is that the, the riot strategy of sort of continuously, effectively every two weeks, rebalancing the game, um, and doing so, I think, extremely well. Not not just sort of breaking it and fixing it, and breaking it and fixing it, like happens with MMOs all the time. Um, the, the riot strategy keeps the community engaged at a level that I think is difficult to maintain in StarCraft Two. Star StarCraft Two as a, as an observer has been static for a long time. I mean, I know there are changes. I know strategies evolve. And certainly if you get into watching particular players working particular strategies, yes. But as a game, it's a little bit like watching chess. Um, and, you know, or, or I mean, I, I gave Rob the example before, like trying to compare the difference between watching League of Legends as a spectator and watching StarCraft as a spectator. Watching StarCraft as a spectator to me is like watching brilliant tennis players. Right. You understand the possibility space very clearly 
and you can immediately pick out brilliant play, right? Somebody dives for the line, picks up a ball that they should never be able to make. So, you know, it, you, you see that in, I mean, we saw that last week in, in spades, like all the, I mean, I just watched the Stefanos match again, you know, where there's, you know, he's getting this last minute win that he should never have been able to get because he's just slightly more skillful in that one situation. That's exciting to watch as a player, um, but it is very much about the player in that case, and the game sort of falls away. The strategy of the game doesn't seem that important to me. Then you look at what happens at the you know the very top of the League of Legends ladder, and it's entirely about positioning and strategy and the drafting process. And to me, that's much more like watching football over the course of an entire season in the course of three games or in terms of last week's final six games and six hours of play. Right. Those were like endurance strategy matches. They're just extraordinarily different. And I think riots really embrace that by keeping the game sort of shifting on an every two week basis. You could argue that Riot is eating Blizzard's lunch right now based upon how many viewers are watching League of Legends. I mean, the MLG Anaheim stats came out last week. Uh, I mean, at least, uh, I think yesterday, with MLG saying that uh, 4.7 million people watched for the weekend, and they had 437,000 watching at one time. Now, while there are no details yet about exactly the stats breakdown for StarCraft and League of Legends, and I know the fighting game stream did not compare at all, so it's really StarCraft 2 versus League, probably League of Legends had more people watching. Now, that would be shocking true. to me. Um, oh, no. It's, really? It's no, League of Legends been thumping not, StarCraft pretty really? hard. Really? No they idea. really have been beating StarCraft. And now, there are some reasons, mainly, that Riot puts the browser and the embed inside of their game. And then when you launch the game, you click the stream automatically when you play, and that's going to boost numbers a lot. And Blizzard has not done that with Battle.net. But you could also argue that that's Blizzard's fault for not having <laughs> a robust experience, as it right. should be, with Battle.net 2.0, as kind of expected i think with you know how how long it took them to build this whole new service and right. kind of how their features missing from battlenet 1.0 which was existed for 11 years seemingly much better than what we had now um so there's a lot of bit about that you have league of legends beating everybody in player numbers or beating starcraft 2 right now there's more people playing the game there's more people spectating the game and you know blizzard is a little probably a little bit worried to have you know the dota all-stars Thing, or not, yeah, not Blizzard All-Stars thing coming out, and that's kind of in a disagreement with Valve, and they're part of that too right now. Uh, but I also do think that Blizzard has a little bit more respect. I don't know how much that means in terms of the grand scheme of things. If, if Riot makes more money than Blizzard, does Blizzard, does it matter that Blizzard is respected more in terms of the whole, in terms of everything? But I think that Blizzard does enjoy that they're like, oh, we don't have to do any cosmetic microtransactions. We don't have to make more money. We're going to be the people be that pure. have made the right. best yeah. game of all time, which you could probably say that most of the League of Legends top players respect and see StarCraft as the king of esports. And that includes the top teams like Solo Mid and CLG and those guys. Probably not the Riot employees and the guys <laughs> over there that make the right. game, but in terms of the people that play it and that watch it, I think there's a, a general consensus oh, no, that StarCraft is it's the king game. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many people are watching. Yeah, it doesn't matter how many people are watching. I agree. And I think so much of that comes down to the fact that I think League is so much easier to pick up and play. I mean, I've started doing this, you know, recently where going back to the discussion of like core competence, 
I don't think you have to work nearly as hard to be able to hold your own in a LOL match and start to figure out like how the game really works the way you do in StarCraft 2. And so I think just you know right there, you've got a bigger pool of people that are more inclined to tune into uh, League of Legends because, hey, it's not like in a totally like foreign language to them. Whereas StarCraft 2, uh, I think for a lot of people it is foreign. Um, but it is also you know the strength of the game as a spectator sport that you know I think holds your attention. But yeah, so I think League of Legends starts from a position of strength just in terms of like right. getting eyeballs. Yeah, well, and I, I think another key thing here is that, um, you know, I, and this may actually be in StarCraft's favor as being a more competitive sport, actually. Um, there are simply fewer things going on with each individual player in a League of Legends match. Nobody's doing 200 actions minute i mean hey, unless you can't. just started playing don't you say that no i but my, my... <laughs> <laughs> but but no but my point is that there aren't that many things that can be done the pace of a league of legends game is simply is simply different and slower and the things that you're focused on are, are vastly different and when you're watching a starcraft match even an extremely well commentated star starcraft match and and this, the quality of the commentary, I think, is vastly better in StarCraft in general in terms of bringing a new player up to speed of what, what's going on in the game, etc. What they're not telling you and what they're not actually observing is, well, what were the first 700 things that DRG did in his build order to get to the point where he was making that rush at seven minutes, which ended the game so fast? Because until those things have played out, there's no visible evidence of them, really. Occasionally, they'll give you the first-person view, and you can just, like, have an epileptic seizure while you're trying to keep up. But for the most part, what's actually being done by the player ends up being invisible versus what I would say in, in Dota 2 or in League of Legends. You can generally see everything that's going on, and when a player makes a key decision, like, I'm going to hold this lane, or I'm picking up red buff here, or I'm going with this sort of odd AP build on an AD character, right? Those things are obvious and commented on and they be, they become easy to understand those key decisions that have been made. Whereas when I watch DRG play, half the time I'm just like, I have no idea how the fuck he did that, but that was amazing. I, I think DRG is actually a, a really good example. Dongregu is probably the, uh, is the world's greatest as of last, player. As of yeah. last weekend, he was yeah. the best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think DRG is a really excellent example, uh, you know, compared to a guy like with Marine King, where Marine King, I think, relies a little bit, bit more on, like, tactical skill and acumen, where he's got this incredible micromanagerial style. Whereas DRG, what makes him so terrifying, I think, is that, you know, you watch DRG, and yeah, you're watching the cast, and they focus on those big, like, mid-game decisions, you know, when he brings his forces out into the center, or when he starts, like, right. a baneling push or something like that. But you have to understand, like, that DRG is also, like, it's this cascading order of good decisions. Like, every worker is, like, working at maximum yeah, but, efficiency. Yeah, but those, like, are very, every... those are all invisible. Yeah, total, yeah, totally invisible. Whereas I think, like, you, you watch a guy like Marine King, you can sort of figure out where his win came from because you saw him take a small force and, you know, kick ass with it and turn the tide of a game just by inflicting more damage. DRG sometimes is a little harder to grasp, like, how this guy win this match because really he was winning it before his forces ever you know right. went out in the center map for instance. But yeah, I, I I do think I do think that can be that can be a bit of a problem. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's I don't think it's really much of an obstacle though because I, I think they're they're the beautiful thing about StarCraft Two and pick a MOBA game because I do want to get into the Dota Two 
you know, whatever the hell they're calling the blizzard thing, you know, don't, um, stars don't forget hives, not dead yet. Yeah, okay. we'll, we'll talk about that. I've already, I already was admonished but, over but a PCG. We're going to, we'll get to that in a second, but, but I think that the beautiful thing is there is definitely a place for Starcraft two and a team based MOBA game because they are so vastly different. That's, that's actually one thing, you know, that I think is important to emphasize here too, is that we often talk about them as if they're in like, you know, a zero sum competition. Like, you know, I think, no, I think it's like tennis and football. I really do. That's that's exactly what I think too. And I think it's unfortunate that, I mean, you know, the gaming community being the gaming community (laughs) every time, like, Oh, league of legends posted higher numbers. Fuck you. You son of a bitch. That game is terrible. Yeah. And you run into that, like you run into that throughout gaming, but I think it is unfortunate because I think what obscure, what it obscures is that, you know, the competitive gaming scene is getting stronger and more diverse all the time. More people are picking up these games, more people are getting into watching them. And I think you're crazy to pretend that, like, one game getting stronger means another one's getting weaker. I think it's just, you know, again, kind of a I, rising I think tide most, floating I think, boats. I think most MLG observers last week were probably like all of us in that we had more than one window open at a time. Oh, yeah. Now, I think uh, a lot of this is down to StarCraft II, mainly as a competitive sport, at least for now, is 1v1 with a small emphasis on 2v2, where MOBA games and Dota, you know, as a, as a game, is a five-on-five team game. And I think there's a big dynamic between a team game and a one-on-one yep. game and where they kind of see themselves in a sport and how easy or hard it is to follow the action of what's going on. I mean, I would, I would say traditionally in America and in Europe and around the world, you know, football is the, both footballs are the leading sports in their respective continents. And, you know, the football that we know as the world football is the biggest sport in the world. And the only one-on-one sports really out there are tennis. And then you can make argument for golf and racing, even though it's simultaneous one-on-ones. I don't even know how you really like, look at it that way. But that everyone is more drawn to team sports and kind of how they play out more so than 1v1 sports. So that's interesting to see how big StarCraft has gotten and Quake originally has gotten and Street Fighter with how it is now because those are one-on-one games. But I really do think that people are tied to team games and, um, you know, how that ties into following along it like a sport and kind of, you know, seeing it. It, working together and people working together to try to reach a goal and try to win as a team is a very alluring aspect that I think, you know, really um, goes to a lot of people and just in terms of like their core values of people and how they, and how they view the world. And I think that's really helped the MOBA genre be an eSport because of they bringing the team aspect back. Counter-Strike was the game that really brought everything to the West. As much as Quake did, Counter-Strike brought it to a new level. The problem with Counter-Strike is being an FPS game is just so hard to spectate, almost to the point of impossibility, because you have 10 POVs plus a spectator client, so you potentially have 11 POVs that you have to mix together in a live editing format, and it, it's fucking impossible. It doesn't work. Well, I, yeah, I tried to watch the ESFI tournament uh, earlier this year, and my, my, my girlfriend was passing through the room, and she's actually started following uh, StarCraft II a little bit, just because it's always Cause it's on, on all the apartment. time. Yeah. yeah, so she's like, oh shit, is Marine King on? And yeah, okay, so she'll, she'll pay attention to that. But when ESFI was going, she'd look over, and she's like, you know, Jesus Christ! Every time I look over, I'm seeing some dude staring at a corrugated wall, and that was her. That was her view on, well, on Counter-Strike. And, and, and to honestly, be fair, quite a few people I know, if they were watching somebody play a first-person shooter game, find it like nauseating. Yeah, 
Like, like it's genuinely difficult to watch somebody play a fast first-person shooter. But, I can't watch somebody play, you know, Rocket Arena. I'd throw up. But going back, to, <laughs> going back to the team, uh, team, team versus individual sport uh, dynamic. You know, I, I, I also think though, like StarCraft, you just seem so much better at like generating stars. Like, well, because it's one on one, of course. Right. So but... I mean, so you, and so you get like caught up in the drama of the competitor, and I think that's at work in traditional sports with with team sports, like you know, uh, a, a LeBron James or a uh, Rajon Rondo. Um, you know, those are those are compelling figures in their own right, but they they sort of distinguish themselves from the whole of the team, and they become individuals. Well, and but, but to that. I think it's much harder I in a MOBA. Basketball is actually a great example, not just because it's also five players, but because. Um, you know, watching TSM's dominance last last weekend um, and watching some of the earlier games, like watching TSM Evo and CLG EU, right? You know, some teams that went down, but went down in interesting ways, right? A lot of those teams had standout players where you'd be watching, um, I can't remember who's Frog, Froggen. Froggen, yeah, yeah right? Froggen. from CLG EU, right? Um, yeah, I think, I, think, I think it was CLG, I don't remember which yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, you watch a player like that, who has such mastery of that portion of the game. And I, as I was watching him, you know, both win and lose those games, I was sitting here saying, I feel like I'm watching somebody dunk nine shots in a row. Like he went on this tear of playing, uh, you know, down the mid over and over again, just dominating with living artillery. And I was, I was, I was riveted the way I've been riveted to watching a, an individual standout performance in a team game. So I think that is an interesting thing. The conflict with that is then you look at TSM, particularly in the finals, right in that six series six game series final, and they won almost because there was no standout player because yep. they were a machine. Everybody knew their roles, and they knew, you could tell there was phenomenal communication going on between all the players on that team, which actually made it less interesting to watch. I mean, I, I was riveting because it was a six-game series. and you know, Did you find yourself play. kind of rooting against them? I, I totally was, did. Totally, it totally. Because like, it was like watching a steamroll, steamroller take on, like, you know. It's like watching you know, yeah. the old Dallas Cowboys or something. You just love to hate them at that point. Yeah, and so you kind of, like, want to see that machine precision, like, get wrecked by somebody. <laughs> um, and that first I don't know what that was, says about us. Yeah, I, I think we resent skill. But right. no. so let's talk <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about the whole you know which MOBA game shall stand because I'm of the opinion that there ain't gonna be more than one a couple years from now. I I don't know about about that man. That's that's a tough one. Uh, and going into this, the last thing I'll say is the MOBA genre is the first time that a five on five game has been able to wash in a top down format because every other five on five game has either been FPS. Or an FPS is the only time it's <laughs> a is a is a FPS format. It, when Ice Frog made Dota, it was the first time that you could play a five on five in a top down right. RTS map ish looking form, and now that, that that was a groundbreaking thing that I don't think a lot of people really have realized that has happened before, and that is why this is. Ta- I really think that's one of the main reasons this has taken off as big as it has is because of that core structure that is yep. made. You can play a team game that's an RTS. And you've never been able to play a team game in an RTS-ish form before. I mean, you could play four-on-four, four, I guess, in StarCraft or in Warcraft 2 or whatever, 
or you know maybe I don't even know the other the other RTS games. I'm sure you could do it, but it was a clusterfuck. It was not designed. It wasn't to be watchable. It wasn't competitive. watchable. Right. Uh, it wasn't even designed to be really even fun. You get rushed and die in five minutes <laughs> in these modes, and it really wasn't made to be. Well, this uh, is made and every time you watch like the game less an hour. Yeah, and every time you watch, like, uh, you know, occasionally you'll see, like, a novelty match, a 2v2 at MLG or something, and those things are always shit shows. Because the, the game's just, like, like having additional players on teams in StarCraft, I don't think adds a damn thing to the game. But... So, so, so you, you said... About the MOBAs, and you only think there's going to be one. No, there, no, I think there's only going to be one that we're talking about in terms of what was on MLG last weekend in a couple of years. See, I can't see that because of who now owns the Dota trademark. If it was anybody in the world that was not Valve, then I would agree with you. And I <laughs> Legends is going to be the game because of how much Riot has progressed in this space in such a short amount of time. Uh, I had a good friend, Matt Marcou, who used to run Verge Gaming in the U.S., and now he's one of the esports managers at Riot. I stayed at his house for E3 uh, 2010 when he first moved to SoCal to work for Riot. And I was talking to him back then, and I was like, I don't know how you guys are going to do. Like, I want to see how this game gets released first and see how it goes. But why is it going to be any better than Dota yeah. How are you making a whole company off of Dota 1? I don't understand this. We'll see. I don't really believe you. And then a year and a half later, and they're dominating. They have they're they're hiring hundreds more people of people, yeah, that I have ever seen. They continue to hire every Friday. I think I, I heard from someone they they have to hire twenty people every single Friday. <laughs> they have to hire them. They they bring. Oh, I know. I know. Like seven people who've gotten hired out from other game companies on the East Coast, and they've flown them there. They moved in there, and and they're profitable. They're making money, and I was hugely skeptical too. I mean, I I was you know people look at my my league account, which I have just the single word rabbit, and they're like, "Are you an employee?" And it's like, "No, I was in the like press beta, and I dismissed this game as impossible and a failure." You know, <laughs> so I'm right there with you. I totally didn't think it would work. The Legends and Riot, which are just beasting, they're making more money than God, and now they're owned by China's Tencent, which. Uh, owns QQ also in China, and they're like a billion-dollar company, and the game isn't even out in China or Korea yet, and the game is huge over there. It's like number one in the Korea PC bangs. I don't even want to know what's going to happen in China soon. So the game is not slowing down. They have this new thing called um, uh, uh, Redemption. No, what is it? Something that hasn't been really announced what it is going to be yet. Maybe a new game, maybe a new game mode, whatever. Riot's going to be fine. The thing is, if it wasn't Valve, that picked up Dota and Ice Frog. There's a reason that Riot made this game and this company exists to begin with is because of a mod that one or two guys made under Warcraft 3, a whole different game. It's called Dota, and that is where it all originated. So for Dota to exist and for it to be the entity that it has and for it to have built this entire game and genre, there wouldn't be a MOBA without Dota and... I, I can't say that I don't hate the acronym MOBA also. Yeah, of course. But 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 the game has to actually be good and it has to be spectatable. And my I've been in the Dota 2 beta since they sent out the first closed beta invites and I'm not sold. I'm just not sold. I don't I think they've made the game overly complex and and overly random. I think they've actually moved it away from being a clean, competitive, observable sport. You know, I 
I can't say that it has or it hasn't. From what I've heard from all of the Dota 1 top players, they're all really liking and and or loving Dota 2. So from what I've heard from the top pros that have played the original Dota game for as long as they have played it, there's not really been any big complaints. And that includes all the Chinese top players, which are kind of the best players in the world right now. Uh, I just read an interview yesterday that said that as long as Valve focuses their efforts in terms of, like, the you know, the way that they release the game and the way it's sold and blah, 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 in China, that everyone will switch and that no one is actually pissed or worried about the game and the gameplay itself. So from at least the game perspective, it seems like everything has gone really well, and I don't hear many complaints from the top players. In terms of the casual players and the people that may have played other competitive games or just coming into the MOBA Dota genre for the first time, you could probably make a pretty good argument that League of Legends is a game to go to, and that's going to be the, the easier one for you to get into. But I have heard a lot of the StarCraft players that have not played a MOBA before, and they have taken to Dota 2 more so than League of Legends. Uh, there's actually a really long post on the Reddit Dota 2 section yesterday coming from a long-time top, not a pro, but a top StarCraft Brood War and StarCraft 2 player who could not get into LOL but really found his home in Dota 2. And I think that the, the slight more complexity that the game has and I would argue that the deeper competitiveness of Dota 2 more so than LOL is going to appeal to a, a group of people that is going to be different from League, but I also think are some of those core PC users that have a lot of influence and that are really going to take Dota over League because of that reason. Hmm. But, okay. I, but I don't know. I, w- I would say that those core PC users have failed to make e- like games big esports attractions before. I mean, I would say like you, you, you're kind of at that point... Talking about something a little bit similar to maybe a uh, like Counter-Strike situation where there's going to be a subset of players who are like, yes, this speaks exactly to what I value in a game as a player. But then you run you you run back into that you, you run back into that problem of what are people latching onto when they're trying to watch it. And I think I think in the case of League of Legends, a lot of it is isn't just the observability that really helps. I think with League of Legends, a lot of it is also that so many people play League of Legends that it's not a very far leap right. to get into it competitively. And, and, and I do wonder if that's going to happen with Dota. 2. I, I I honestly, I mean, I've watched some of the spectated and commented Dota two stuff, and. You know, and and I know the game pretty well. I probably, I mean, I haven't put as much time into it as I have with League of Legends, but I probably played as much Dota two as I have StarCraft two over the years. And you know, the, the commentating has to. It's a little bit like the StarCraft two problem. The commentating has to skip so many critical decisions because the build orders are more complex, and there's so many more choices, and you're managing recipes, and and I, I find it much more difficult to enjoy. And get that connection of like, oh, I can now hop into a game of Dota 2 having seen this person mastering that particular champ and and have learned something about my play. And, um, you know, you do get that in League of Legends for sure. And to some extent, I think you get it in StarCraft 2 as well, where at least at the strategic level, you can look and say, oh, I see what he did there. Now, you may not be able to replicate it because you're not skillful enough, but you understand the choices that were made. I so, would say that the Brood War and how big that that had, along with the players that did, you know, progress in Brood War, like Idra and Tyler, and people that went on to be huge casters like Artosis, Tasteless, 
and Day 9. That is a lot of the reason why StarCraft 2 became so big, because it had a game as a predecessor. Even though it wasn't gigantic in the West, it built the foundations for when Superstars then came to the next game. And commentary does play a large part of, I think, all of esports. Not only uh, the two biggest things are, one, commentary to me, and two, live broadcasting. So you had Twitch TV owned... And just the live broadcasting that's only come in the past few years with technology in that space that never existed back in the early 2000s, or the right. late 90s, or even the right. mid-2000s, which you could say is a big cause of the demise of many of the old competitive games. And you also had commentators who, you know, DJ Wheat was the first one back in 2000, late 99, who really started shoutcasting on Winamp way back when, 2.0, 3.0 of, of, you know, that client thing, whatever it was, and he created the entire allure of casting a game, a video game competitively, and now that has gone, now 10 years of progress and 10 years of experience, and now you have those stars that were built on Brood War, like Day, Taze Sartosis, matched with people like Wheat, and you have casting, which has really made watching games so much easier because you have someone I, oh, that has sure. been in a game for 10 years, explaining to you pretty much ex- everything that you need to know about what's happening. But you're, you're not claiming that the, the Dota has that built in. Well, I could say that Dota, the Dota community and Dota scene, is it, it's been around since, I think, 03, 04, whenever Warcraft 3 right, came but, out. But, but there are no, I mean, maybe you're just, I mean, you're obviously way more connected to the scene than I am, but, I mean, there are English language broadcasters of well, dota that Tobe, you think like, are going to just jump right in Toby and take Wan up the land of like day nine really well regarded i know that yeah, toby is real well regarded he's screaming right now in my ear right you know i'm watching him uh, do uh quantic versus uh, al i can watch him right now but i i would say dota does not no nor league of legends either league no of, no no it's a huge problem with law right is, now yeah is actually someone like joe miller who is a very famous Quake Battlefield Counter-Strike caster, and he has now moved his talents over to League of Legends. Also, Riot hired uh, Rivington, who um, did uh, Counter-Strike casting before, and Freak, who was an ex-Warcraft 3 pro. So Riot has done a good job of bringing people into their company, now using them as casters, and other casters from other games have jumped on. It has not been the same with Dota, and I think there is some reasoning for that, that other players have not jumped in. I think it's also because of the skill level of the game it being harder than League of Legends in some ways. is makes it more weary of even professional casters to jump in, because they're going to be like, I'm going to get fucking destroyed if I start doing this, even with my 10-year history and knowledge of esports in general. I think that has hurt it a little bit, um, but yeah. I wouldn't say that's going to be the the biggest the biggest downfall of the game. I do think that Dota, with how much history it has had in the past, is going to help Dota two be successful because of how big Dota one was and how much a lot of the Dota one community is still around and still active even till this day. There are still tournaments for Dota one, so that when Dota two's full release comes out, that will help it a lot going forward. I think you know this is what I said. I think it was anyone but Valve. I really meant it. Valve has almost never made a bad game. You could probably tell Valve has never made a, ge- a bad game before. And I have so much respect for them as a company that because it's them that picked up Ice Frog and because they won a trademark mark war with Blizzard, that I have to give them the benefit of the doubt that they and Ice Frog, who is the same guy that has been there the entire time, the thick it's been, 
with uh, Dota to begin with, and you had Pendragon, his longtime buddy, going to Riot and, you know, kind of leading that company, that I have to feel like Valve is going to do right by the community and going to do right by the game industry to make a successful game that is going to be successful in the MOBA genre, though I do have to say that Valve now has a responsibility of not only making Dota 2 a great game and making sure that Dota as a legacy and the the game that created the entire MOBA genre itself is successful, but they also have Counter-Strike Go, and they're trying to follow up on Counter-Strike 1.6 and Counter-Strike Source, which is the biggest FPS competitive game of all time. So they're now in control of the two you could say, biggest competitive gaming genres ever, and they're responsible for both working. And then they have been moving more towards a technology company than a gaming creator for a little while now with Steam and some other things they want. So this could be, like, a defining moment. Either Valve comes through and they show just how fucking awesome that they are and that they <laughs> there's a reason why people email Gabe every hour and there's posts about Valve every day and that they've been regarded as maybe the the best developer ever. Um which is I know it's a long stretch now, but or they can completely screw up. And yeah, that I mean, this could be the first time that Valve really takes a hit on two different fronts for two esports games that they are now in control of that they have to make sure are good. I guess my point wasn't that Dota was doomed. Um, I'm just challenged to see how it and League of Legends both survive in the competitive space because the games are similar enough that um, I, I think that to some extent the, the pro teams are going to go where the money is. And if it, if it, if it moves in one direction, if, if Dota 2 comes on the scene and Valve puts, you know, prize support money behind it and, you know, the good casters end up over on the Dota 2 scene and all that kind of stuff, then I think it's going to bleed out the League of Legends competitive scene. I don't think the game's going to go anywhere. I think the competitive scene will dry up. Um, I, I just, I have a hard time seeing both of them thrive. That's my main point. Um, I, I hope you're right, actually. I mean, I'm a huge Valve fan and uh, was a huge Dota fan as well. I worry that they've jumped in with both feet on the complexity level, that it's going to make it very tough for players to get engaged in the game enough to become spectators. I would say that, I mean, I did talk to Valve about the whole prize money thing, and they're really, they're still, I've been talking to them a few years ago, and they said they want to take a hands-off approach with esports. People can do what they want with their game. They have no problem with it, but they're not going to really put a whole lot into it. Now they have the international. They put up 1.6 million twice now, the second one coming a few months from now. So I think they're op- actually opening up a little bit more than they're used to regarding esports, at least in terms of Dota, maybe less so with Counter-Strike. But I do think that they might push things a little bit more. In terms of the players, it doesn't seem like the Dota players are going to play League or the League players are going to play Dota, but there's a ton of pro teams and players for both games that are continuing to be more and more players and breakout stars. So for at least right now, it seems pretty even in terms of each competitive scene and the growth that they've had. Viewership, League of Legends has won. Talking about prize money there for one second that, that does bring me to one, one point i wanted to hit in this discussion which is sort of the sustainability of all this like with both league of legends and with uh, dota 2 you've got a lot of sort of um top-down uh approach to creating an, an esports community you got a lot of a lot of money a lot of like the company making the games investing heavily in like promoting it as an esport uh starcraft 2 uh you know had a bit more of an organic beginning but uh, even there, like, so, you know, in, in the U.S., for instance, like, 
MLG puts together a great presentation. I love MLG events. I'm always excited about them. Uh, but you know, at the, at the same time, uh, you know, I'm not sure are the major are are gaming leagues really profitable in their own right, or are they sort of all coasting on the assumption that at some point a switch is going to flip and these things can self sustain? I mean, now in terms of 2012, the leagues are finally making money, and I say finally because. I mean, MLG has taken 65 to 70 million in investment so far, and they've already gone through Series D funding. Yeah, you have ESL who, you know, tried to stay profitable, but they had to take in funding. We've had other, we have CGS and WCG and CPL have all gone under. CGS who had a 50 million dollar budget. WCG was backed by William Morris. CPL was the first ever big league, and, and they still didn't uh, work out either. WCG is still kind of floundering. Um, the problem is that a lot of these companies started MLG, ESL included, back in 2002, 3, uh, 4, or even before that, and that there was no real business model back then for them to make money. So they've been building a company and legacy and um, a brand for six, seven, eight years now, but have not been able to make money because live streaming didn't exist in terms of advertising revenue. Or you had to run Akamai, which costs, when I was at WCG, Akamai cost way more money than any advertising that could actually come in through the live streaming efforts. On top of that, the advertisers that and the sponsors that were there only now are the big, big brand names like Dr. Pepper and Stride and Monster and Red Bull getting into the game when they were not there before. So now all the leagues are making money. And if they all started today, they would all be profitable. The problem is that they all started eight years ago. And, <laughs> They're all deep in hot. And, and it did help in building their brands and kind of exposing everyone to how they are now today. But because they had to spend so much money back then, they are not doing as well, really, as they could. But I think now everyone is getting the hang of things, and everyone has pretty much figured out how they're going to make money off of advertising revenue, uh, pay-per-view sales, and or premium revenue, which is playing for HG streams or HQ streams. People are now showing up in person for events where MLG can charge $25, $35 for a spectator pass, uh, and people, five, 10,000 people will pay it, now, where they, it was free before and less people showed up before. And, and you have the big advertisers which are coming on board, which you, you, can, sell, you can sell direct sponsorships for hundreds of thousands, if not a uh, million dollars per, per deal. So I think all the leagues are finally getting it together and now making money. But because of the hole that they were in before, everyone is still kind of in limbo. It's still going to take uh, a little while, I think, for everyone to get up to speed still. So I guess, uh, you know, as, as we wind the show down, I guess there's, you know, one, one last part of this topic I wanted to hit, which is kind of like why, you know, if, if you're into strategy games, for instance, why you actually maybe should consider giving esports a shot. Because one thing that I think, uh, one thing I've noticed at least, is that there seems to be this real, uh, this real divide between people who, you know, they just want to play games and people who think there's any value in, like, watching games. Uh, and to a degree, like, those... those those two sides are not really in, in dialogue. Like, I, I think that the main thing for most strategy gamers, and you know, we meet we meet our you know our audience at various events and packs and yeah. stuff. We get together, um, and people send us lots of notes. And so I, I feel like I sort of have an understanding of our core audience. 
Um, and I think a lot of them are, frankly, like you and me in many ways. And honestly, I think the the value of esports is that it makes you realize that there's a broader community interested in the same kinds of issues and the same kinds of play that you're interested in. I mean, watching people play competitive League of Legends makes me more interested in strategy. It really does, because all of a sudden I'm starting to see, oh, I've been playing this MOBA game, not wrong, but with like 12% of my brain when you could actually engage 80%. And so much like I think people who are really into chess benefit a lot by either watching or reading, in many cases, you know, famous chess matches and understanding other people's play, um, I'm really starting to feel that as a, as a core strategy gamer, that's what esports is starting to bring to you. I think less so, honestly, with StarCraft II, because I, I, I'll stand behind my assertion that at the competitive level, what you see as a spectator in StarCraft II is not so much strategy as pure skill. Mm. Um, but at the team level on the MOBA games, I, I really do think you're watching competitive team strategies play out in a way that frankly is like what makes watching football really interesting over the course of a season. You know, I'm, I actually may have to disagree with you on the Starcraft portion. Only if I had to compare it to brood war, brood war was a lot more mechanics because of the, just the game uh, and the infancy that it was brought in way back when in 2000, where there was no multiple building selection. You didn't have workers at auto mind and things like that. So it took like 400 APM or actions per minute. Everyone who doesn't know to to really make just to the keep game. your economy moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now that the game is relatively easier to play in terms of mechanics, where you don't have to have 400 um, you know actions per minute to play the game at a high level, that a lot of it has actually come down to strategy in the way that positioning is played. And that the way that build orders and things are thought up. Well, I, I agree that that's there. I'm just saying as a spectator, it can be difficult to extract that. You get the big moves. You get the, well, you know, oh, my God, this guy's amazing at dropping force fields to protect right at the right moment. And, to you know, funnel all the Zergs right into the place where he's got all his classes making all the. I mean, I get that you can see some of that, but most of the observation of a StarCraft 2 match won't be that. That'll be three or four minutes of it. I think. You know, to, with StarCraft Two, I I think as you watch more, I think you get much more appreciative of transitional play, like when you know when the first round knockout punch doesn't knock the guy out, and suddenly everyone's scrambling to what Re- comes next, right. like what's, what's the, the next line act? of play? Yeah, right. exactly. What's the second act? And if it goes to a third act, for sure. You know, for end sure. Game. Uh, you, you start to really like you you start to really enjoy the guessing game that's going on. And you see like the the strategy there. I also I also do think like so much of StarCraft 2 and correct me if I'm wrong Rod, but so much of StarCraft 2 seems to be about metagame. These are guys who play each other all the time. They know each other's styles. And so the more you watch it, you, yes there there is a ton of strategy there, but a lot of it is this really like personal intimate sort of strategy where yeah, you're scouting yep. the guy, you're doing a it's lot like of that, poker. but you also kind of know who you're playing, you're playing you know the, what he you're wants to do. You're playing the person, right? Yeah, um, no, I, I think it's a lot about that too. I, I will say that there are things like high ground and low ground and the way that you position your army it hap- is a, kind of a lot of what, um, what will make a person win or lose in StarCraft 2. And I think that ties a lot into the strategy aspects. I think it's, it is the metagame and what is going to be built and when to build it and the timings that need to be put in. But I also do think that there is a lot of, um, just the positioning and 
kind of how you think about matchups too. Like just not just about how the metagame is right now in terms of what is beating what on the server, but there's also a lot of personalized play and what people like to do just personally and, and how they and how they build. MC likes to go gateway units and not as much robo. And he just likes to do that, and then he has his own strategies within himself, which is, along with the metagame overall for the entire scene of Protoss vs. Zerg, Protoss vs. Terran, Protoss vs. Protoss, he has his own strategies on top of that, which I think add an, an a whole another level of, um, of what I would call, you know, strat- deep level strategy, which I think makes it even more appealing, at least to me. Uh, let me let me ask you, Rod. Do you like you, you watch a ton of these games? Do you do you go down and like you know play them a lot yourself? Do you do you find that like watching pro game programming sort of like influences your play? I am not a great example here because have you gone I, too far down the rabbit hole? I have watched. I watch so much more than I play. I don't even play games anymore. <laughs> I find myself spending hours upon hours of, of watching games every day and barely getting to play i mean so i mean okay that that that, i actually find that interesting right there though is so so what is it about esports that sort of actually pulled you away from uh gaming because to me it's because i love the games that are being played because i love starcraft and i love quake and those just happen to and street fighter and those just happen to be the games that are played competitively at a very high level I well, I love to play the game. I, I know that at least I mean in Quake, I, I like to play more because I've been playing for ten years and I feel I've actually hit that pretty much top level where I can do the things that I'm watching. And in StarCraft and Dota and Street Fighter, I'm watching stuff that I know I won't be able to do pretty much anytime soon, and I'm being able to watch the best in the world, so I find it. So alluring to see things that I know that I'm not going to be able to do myself, even if I try really, really, really hard right. to do so. Like under any circumstances, I know it's going to take me at least six months or a year or something ridiculous like that to even get close to the level that those guys are at when I watch. So I'd rather just watch. It's almost like, I mean, it's kind of like, well, why would you not rather play baseball or or soccer it's not um that i wouldn't rather go do that but i i have more fun watching someone play the games that i love to the best ability of the game's allowance to be played than myself having fun playing the game because i know i can't i can't i can't push it to that level I just know I can't do it, so I'd rather I'd rather watch someone who could than try to do it myself. And that satisfaction of watching the game being pushed to the fullest is more satisfying to me than my own enjoyment of playing and trying to do it. See, and and just speaking for myself, I find that like I get so much more excited to go and play these games and and play more like RTS games after watching pros and you know it's weird because you'd think in a way it'd almost be discouraging right that like well shit like i basically well it sounds like for rod I'm, it is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it, i wouldn't say it's so much discouraging as it it's it's not like i feel like oh well i'm just never gonna get to that point 
it, it's automatic that I know it's not. But you just happen. you just get more enjoyment. But but for me, it's like just watching like watching what is possible within the game. You will see things illuminated about like StarCraft strategy that you just aren't going to pick up. Maybe you should read a ton of guides or something and really get into the theory of the game. But just like seeing it play out, you know, with like high skill players, the dynamics that are at work really kind of like help me understand these games that I that I played and had a working understanding of, but now I understand them on so much deeper level. And then also that encourages me to go and like try, try to out. play it myself. And right. yeah, I'm never going to be able to pull off, you know, a, a tenth or a hundredth of the shit I see over an MLG weekend. But you know, when I pull off the crappy like trying it at home version <laughs> of an right. awesome play I saw and it works. It's freaking I, glorious. I feel amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I you know like falling back in front of like a, a baneling rush or something and doing a spread that yeah it's not a perfect spread but it does the job you know shit like that you know that's something that comes out of my experience watching it as a sport like okay that's how you handle that and even if you can't execute it well at least that becomes something that you're like uh that you're you, you, that's a language now you're fluent in and suddenly you're playing the game on a deeper richer level right. uh and so that's you know i i guess that is why I've gotten into them so much and why I think, uh, you know, they're a really good thing for strategy gaming. And, and that last point you're trying to make, I mean, I've seen the comments on PC Gamer and I've seen the comments on GameSpot and I've seen the comments on Kotaku and other mainstream gaming publications of what the fuck is this nerd shit? Why would I want to watch a goddamn video game over playing it? And... I find it so fascinating that I hear those comments on gaming sites specifically <laughs> where you're reading, for, about reading about it for a number of reasons. One, because I think in terms of strategy games specifically, I mean, you're, you're playing a strategy game because of the strategy involved. So to see people that have spent years of their lives developing strategies, I would think would be more fascinating than almost any of the other games because of the, the things that they are employing in the game that you like to be played so that you could see different minds and the way that they think and the way that they, you know, play the game that you play and that you could one, take it in, but also just admire what, you know, the type of thought thoughts and skills that went into having to think up of the things that are being performed on the screen. You know, my, my theory with that stuff really is that these people say, is saying that like, I don't think, you know, sometimes they'll pretend like that's not a real sport. Frankly, like, I don't think those people are into real sports either. Like, I, you know, because I think <laughs> right. if you care about sports, you get into more sports and you you discover you enjoy competition in general. And I think if you're really hostile to esports, chances are you're like, well, you're you have probably not a huge problem football with this. fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that tends to be the root of the problem. But uh, anyway, so that does it for our show. I hope uh, this helps you sort of understand why we're all sort of getting into esports more and uh hopefully we'll be able to talk about it more on uh three moves ahead in the future uh but in the uh meantime if you want more esports podcasting uh rod why don't you tell everyone about your show yeah um well i do a i don't even know what's called podcast because we only do it live i refuse to do anything pre-recorded and i refuse to do pre-recorded interviews or anything like that um, so you can watch us live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. EST, 4 p.m. PST, and 1 a.m. Central European time, and memorize all those things because of esports. Esports has helped me learn the time zones of nearly <laughs> every country in the world. Yep. I can tell you what time it is right now in China, Korea, South America, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, 
North America, West, East, Central, and Canada without missing a beat. The same uh, time so, Canada, dog. So we talk about all esports on Live on 3. That includes strategy games, FPS games, uh, RTS, MOBA, fighting, along with new things coming into the scene every day, like MMO, RPGs, and PvP, which, what the fuck's going on there? Um, but you can find us, talk about that. My co-host is DJ Wheat, who you probably know from MLG and commentating DreamHack this weekend, and the general manager of Evil Geniuses, who has squads and players of every single game. And we have some pretty good insight on there to everything, and then also, you can check out my writing and articles and interviews on GameSpot.com, which will hopefully soon have an entire esports section. Yeah, you need a top-level link, man. I am, we, I am trying my hardest, and I actually think it has gotten through to some people upstairs. And that so, it so pretty soon it'll be uh, GameSpot slash esports or something? Yeah. That is, that is my hope. All right. That's my hope. All right, well, uh, Rod, thanks for coming on the show. It's been fantastic having you, and uh, hopefully you'll come back soon. Thank you, man. I've really uh, really enjoyed spreading the gospel. (laughs) All right. Uh, As always, our thanks to our producer, Michael Hermes, for uh, cutting this down and making it all sound coherent and uh, practiced. All right. uh, Say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. Goodnight. Goodnight.